Hello and welcome to Zookeeping 101. This is the Zookeeper podcast where we take you behind the scenes talking to professionals in the industry about their stories, words of wisdom and journey so far to get to where they are today, really showing you what it takes to be a zookeeper. All views throughout the podcast shared are of those speaking alone and in no way reflect the collections they work for. So please come along for the journey, enjoy the ride and thank you for listening. Hello and welcome to Zookeeping 101. My name's James Dennis, I'm your presenter, and today we're talking all about various taxonomic groups within the industry and the keepers which make them work. And who better to talk to than Jasmine Snell? Welcome Jasmine to the show. Hi James, nice to be here. Welcome to the show now. I've kind of done it for you, but if you want to introduce to all of the lovely listeners exactly who you are, where you come from, and what title you hold. So my name is Jasmine Snell, I work at Colchester Zoo, I've been here for the last seven years, and I'm a keeper, so I work with a variety of different animals. Amazing, amazing. Now, obviously an amazing role to be in, and exactly that, with a whole array of animals to work under, but to get there, it isn't just simply, I mean, sometimes it is luck, but generally you have to work very hard to get in the position you are, and, and create your luck for yourself. So do you have those career moments, those life moments, those true stepping stones to getting into the position you are, or, or are you just simply lucky? Do you have them, Jazz? What, what what are we talking? I think a bit of luck always plays into it, a bit of a right place, right time. I mean, I've always wanted to be a zookeeper since I was like four or five years old. Colchester is my local zoo. I've been there like for every birthday party and uh, every sort of day out. I knew when I went into college that that's what I wanted to do. So I studied animal management at my local college. And then on a kind of whim, I applied for a work experience at the zoo. I was kind of dared to by one of my friends. Uh, I never thought I'd hear back about it. And then eventually, yeah, I managed to get an interview for it. And then as soon as I left college, I went into work experience at the zoo. So I did three months on our farm section. And at the time, I was really kind of a bit disheartened by the fact I was going onto farm because I was like, oh God, you know, just farm animals. It's amazing zoo and I'm working with like chickens. But actually, it was one of the best sections for me to go on at the time. It really built my confidence and... It's not just chickens, even though I love chickens. It's things like the wallabies, our giant tortoises, so many different animals. So I did that for three months. And then I'm kind of known as being a bit of a cheeky person. I like to ask for things. So I asked for an extension. So I did an extra month um, on farm so that I could work with the reindeers over Christmas time. And then from that, I went and asked if I could do an internship. So um, our internships at the time started in January. So I went on to our display section. And at the time, it was the only internship space left on the whole um, sort of course. Um, and yeah, they were like, oh yeah, it's on displays. And at the time, I was petrified of birds petrified of public speaking and I was vegan and I was very much like I didn't want to touch meat so I was like oh god I'm gonna be doing falconry like what am I doing what am I putting myself in for and the first month was probably the hardest I've ever gone through like it was very challenging getting over that fear of birds and being in front of people but I really pushed through it and at the end of my internship I was offered a trainee role so my trainee role was supposed to be for six months and then four months into it um, I got offered a full-time qualified role on display section not only bird shows but we did sort of mixed species so we had coatis with serval i flew parrots yeah did so much i look back on it with such sort of fondness and then sadly in the march of 2019 our section shut down the management kind of decided it was the right thing to do 
and all of our birds moved out of the collection apart from a few of them so I asked if I could go back to farm section with some of the animals from display so I kind of took them with me so I could carry on their training carry on with that bond I had with those animals and also train the staff that I was working with to be able to do sort of mini shows and talks sort of take over my skills with me and then after three years of being on farm section I was like right I think I'm ready to do something else now I've kind of got out of it what I could and I put into it what I could as well so I very cheekily asked my curator if I could have a cover keeping role someone had just left and I really thought that was what I really wanted to do so I kept bugging her and she kept saying no I'm really sorry you have to be a senior keeper and I kept just bugging her like I think poor Liz hated me after that sort of month because every sort of time I saw I wanted that role and then after that eventually offered me a six months trial of being a cover keeper so I had four sections to cover so I wasn't based anywhere I was um, between our Africa section so things like a hyena a mandrel um, our elephants our draft team and our farm team and it was supposed to just be those just threw myself into it and I absolutely fell in love with it and then the other cover keeper left and I became the only cover keeper in our zoo yeah it kind of evolved into being eight of the ten sections in our zoo so pretty much most of the zoo so I then ended up working with our, our rainforest animals our carnivores on our tiger section pretty much most animals in the zoo and then recently literally two weeks ago I've now been moved on to our rainforest section permanently because a member of staff left but I'm still technically classed as a cover keeper because if there's any um, real sort of shortness of staff if anyone's off sick or on holiday or anything like that I will get pulled off occasionally um, just because I am trained in those areas I can go around and help people still. No very good I think you've summed it up is it's such a diverse background to get into the industry number one and number two you do have to work your graph you know you're not just given these roles you have to really really work hard but as you've just said talk to people try and connect with people try and network even in-house with people and get your name out there because it really does make dividends to progress and get into the positions you're in today which is, is great to hear now obviously with regards to i'm going to dive into it i guess this section as a whole your taxonomic group and uh, i guess where to start it is what sort of taxa would you say you are if I was to say to you what taxonomic group and what sort of keeper you are, you work with a whole array, as you, you've just said, what would you say? Are you a mammal keeper? Are you a bird keeper? Are you an aquatic keeper? Are you, what, what are we talking? Oh, that's a very hard question. <laughs> I think it depends on day, most of all. Going into the industry, I always wanted to be a draft keeper. I was always very mammal based. It's the only thing that's ever really interested me. Then I fell in love with birds and I was like, I'm a bird keeper. I'm definitely a bird keeper. And I kind of love being a bird keeper because it's not always everyone's cup of tea. So I was kind of the bird nerd and everyone kind of come to me for information on birds. And then I've gone back the other way. And I think majority of my work is, is mammals. And I think that's what I've really fell in love with. Something that I've kind of laughed at myself, but I always said I would never work with primates. I've always been like, oh, I'm not a monkey person, you know, a bit stinky. And still to this day, I'm not a big fan of chimps. They kind of do freak me out a little bit. A bit too human-like for my understanding um but now i actually have really fallen in love with primates i work a lot with things like our geladas and our mandrels and their personalities i could just watch them all day they're amazing animals see so yeah, i would say i'm more of a mammal keeper i'm definitely not an aquatic keeper filters confuse me so much i do love a reptile as well but i i'm not as specialized in them but yeah, I, would, I would say mammal okay okay yep solid uh, i mean I, as a community i would say the strongest taxa is probably mammals because naturally our, our zoo public our guests predominantly love the cute and cuddly and that is obviously 
generally linked to your mammals, to your red pandas, to your koalas, you know, your, even your meerkats, which, um, yeah, I'm sure the keepers listening will be very much giggling away at me and saying that one. Um, not quite as cute and cuddly as they seem. Now, with regards to those animals, obviously enrichment plays a large part of our industry, a large part of our role in the modern day. With regards to your taxa then, what would you say? Have you got any quirky tips, any quirky piece of enrichment that you've maybe made which are specified for your, obviously, taxa? Now, obviously, you said you're not an aquatic keeper, so you may not have to deal with a waterproof enclosured in- enrichment device. But also with regards to your taxa, is there anything in particular which really homes home on their needs. So enrichment, I would say, is probably my biggest passion. I find it just fascinating, just providing them with different things to keep them, you know, mentally stimulated and all sorts. So that's something I spend a lot of my time doing. And one thing that I quite like to think I'm known for in the zoo. Yeah, like you said, I don't do much aquatic stuff. I mean, with my job, it's very varied. So going around different sections, I have to sort of learn from the keepers and and see what's suitable for each individual species and animal. I mean, working with things like our elephants, I quickly learn that they can destroy everything you give them. So it has to be incredibly hardy. But then now I work with, you know, calatrippids and everything's very kind of fiddly because they've got very little hands. And you've got to think about obviously safety with everything. One of the things I found the most challenging is making things less destructible so I work a lot with our spotted hyena and their bite force is incredible like it's just ridiculous Um, we actually gave our guys a a bowling ball once years ago and they managed to crack it in half with one bite that's how strong they are so whenever we think of enrichment we have to think it's got to be strong durable safe make sure they don't obviously try and escape their enclosure or anything like that so what we've found is a lot of metal products work best for them so we'll get uh, metal tubes from our welders any sort of scraps from our welders they file them down to make them safe and then we can you know coat them in blood uh, we can make sort of blood schools with them in the summertime we can hide them around the enclosure anything to sort of keep them busy but what we also do is a lot of sort of natural scent enrichment so we obviously do the sort of typical um, herbs and spices and perfume but we also use our other animals around the park. So we recently had our alpacas and our llamas sheared. So we've free, uh, frozen the wool and we've then put it out in the enclosure. It smells all nice, um, different textures for them so they can you know, roll around and they probably will eat a little bit of it, um, which is fine with their stomach acid. But we also, we lock away our hyenas and then we can bring things like our goats and our pigs into the actual enclosure. The goats can have a lovely time. They can go around. They love eating all the grass. The pigs love rolling in the sand, making a lot of mess. They obviously will probably go to the toilet as well. We then remove those animals and then let the hyenas back out. And the hyenas have been mental. They absolutely love it. It's great stimulation for them. There's no actual sort of connection between the two animals. So they're not actually physically seeing each other at all, just for safety. And obviously we don't want to scare those sort of more domestic species. But we found it's great sort of stimulation for both. Also, it's great for keepers. It's great for um, sort of the farm keepers to come over to see the hyenas. Um, let their animals have a bit of fun, but also watch the interaction with the hyenas afterwards as well. So it's, it's great for sort of everyone, really. No, very much so. Very much so. And as I say, this is part of the, the podcast that I'm I'm very much enjoying with regards to enrichment because I'm learning some crazy, crazy stuff. Some ingenious stuff that I'm taking away, which is, is great. I mean, it, have you got a piece of enrichment that you've come across that you've made that you're particularly 
a fan of that you're very proud that you you've achieved or is it just generally the the good feeling that you get seeing your animals i mean i just love yeah watching them play with whatever i've made really i do love a bit of fire hose though so i make a lot of fire hose sort of cubes all different sizes um and i've found them to be really versatile we can freeze them with like brows inside we can give them to our primate species we can make massive ones for our elephants um so that's kind of my sort of calling card if you see them around the zoo at all it's probably the, me that's made them um so yes yeah, something that i kind of distribute around the zoo amazing amazing now obviously linking to that then enrichment's one thing but we we don't simply need to just do enrichment we can almost make enrichment by good enclosure design um sometimes maybe we don't have uh, an input in it sometimes it's just a, a, a historically old enclosure which we have to work with but with regards to your taxa and enclosure design, is there anything in particular that you see as key for your taxa within that enclosure to improve their welfare, include their their stimuli, and, and in general to care for those animals on a daily basis? I think yeah, enclosure design is just a massive part of the animal's care. The next sort of five to ten years, we are expanding massively, and there's going to be a whole sort of redo of the enclosures and all sorts. So we're really excited as keepers because we're hopefully going to get the chance to have a bit of input. Um, in the enclosure design and obviously we know the animals best so we need to be able to provide them with enough sort of stimulation and also be able to help the keepers manage them as well so there's loads of different things i've seen around the enclosures around the zoo we have these big sort of wobble boards for our sun bears they're really high up boards that they have to wobble the base off to be able to like chuck the food off the side for a bit more exciting we have some electronic dispensers for like pellets for things like our chimp species we have all sorts of different built-in things around the zoo that can really help sort of a lot of the time it's prolonged feeding we obviously we leave at night time we want to make sure the animals have food throughout the night and sort of simulate them that way but I think for me personally being a keeper now for nearly seven years I want an enclosure that I can manage easily that I can have that sort of interaction with the animal if I need to so obviously a lot of species I can't go in with but I want to be able to have you know training walls where there's like no electric fence big enough gaps in the um, in the fence that I can be able to sort of you know pull a tail out and be able to do injection training with mouth opening behaviors all sorts of different things being able to have uh, built-in scales would be amazing the amount of times I've had to you know shut an animal away put scales in and like it takes forever to be so much easier with built-in scales I mean I recently went to Yorkshire Wildlife Park and went behind the scenes and they have for the polar bears like is amazing sort of training area where they can put their heads into different areas and they can have x-ray um, sort of boards put underneath their faces and stuff and yeah I was very very jealous of that but also for enclosures like having off show areas where if you've got unfortunately you know, a sick animal or if there's um sort of a dispute in the group being able to shut animals away is a massive thing for their care and yes it might not be great for the public because they can't see them but communicating with the public a lot of the time they understand and they want the best thoughts you know for the animal so yeah having great sort of off show sort of quarantine areas would be amazing as well Totally, totally. Some really, really great words there. And I'm sure our listeners are, are soaking all of those different ideas in along with listening to your, uh, to your Arts 10. And I think it's a great example of how it, a keeper and when a keeper designs an enclosure, you can hear it in your voice. You know, you're talking about all those aspects which are going to make your life easier with the animal. And yet, if you haven't built the enclosure, I guarantee one of the one things that every keeper can relate to is an uphill drain. 
one of the banes of a keeper's life. And that shows a very, very small part of enclosure design, but a very large part of a keeper's life. Oh, it's the worst. I can't deal with drains are uphill. No. <laughs> very much so. Very much so. Now, to, to conclude this part of the, the podcast, a bit of advice for the industry, for whether it be for someone trying to come in, whether it be someone trying to transition from one job to another, simply some advice from your journey so far, from your stepping stones through to tips you've built along the way. Do you have any advice? So I think your attitude has a major impact on your career. So I think if you're coming into the industry, having a really positive attitude towards work is so important. Turning up with, you know, a bit of a smile on your face, eager to work, wanting to make connections is just a massive thing. I've seen so many people do amazing internships. They get to the end of their internship and they know they're not going to get a job and it just goes completely downhill they don't want to work they come in you know unfortunately a bit grumpy and you're like oh you've just kind of ruined that whole year because you know that last month is what we kind of remember you for so I always say to anyone in their career even if you're like top of the ladder having that positive attitude will just massively help with connections and building sort of relationships with other zoos and other keepers and that's one thing I'd quite like people to know me as I do have a bit of a bad resting face but if you come and talk to me I'm very chatty I'd love to have a word with anyone being really positive about everything is really great yeah no very very good advice and a really great way to lead us to what we call the big questions now anyone listening you'll very much know by now this is the part of the podcast where we try and tackle some of the larger questions in the industry and usually some of the unanswered ones so we'll give it a go jazz Bear with us and we'll try and battle our way through. Um, the first one is something which we all know. You know, the zookeeping role in the modern day, it isn't a classic role anymore. It isn't that stereotypical poo-picking role. We aren't, uh, I guess, what our parents think we are, which is cuddling animals all day. You know, we are a whole range of things from welfare officers, nutritionists, and, and simply your day-to-day, on-the-clock carer for your animals. So with all of that put into account alongside education and a whole bundle of other things, what do you feel the largest challenges in the in the zookeeping role currently? And how have you learned, Sasha, learning to overcome it? I think the zookeeping industry as a whole, but also your day-to-day life is changing for like continuously. It's going to be forever changing. Um, and that's one thing that I've kind of struggled with over the years. I mean, my role being a cover like literally every day is different but yeah I do find it kind of challenging sometimes the fact that it is forever changing and sort of keeping up with it so I do really recommend to people that they do their own research that they look up things themselves have their own opinion on stuff you know there's some great sort of social media um sort of platforms to listen out for so this one included so giving you different ideas and keeping you up to date with things um you've got things like zoo news digest on facebook they put loads of um, information out can on places like brs are an ab turning up for sort of conferences because things are always changing you just want to keep up with it um otherwise you will get left behind and one of the worst things is said in the zoo industry is that's the way we've always done it I hate that phrase I think there's always new ways to look on things and if you can be ahead of the game and be you know doing research into different things and then go into your managers and being like look I've done all this research we've got all these new ideas it's going to put you one step ahead and I think it's just going to benefit you the zoo and your animals as a whole yeah very very much so and oh, I couldn't have put it better myself I think you smashed through that first question and we'll move on to the second one and the second one's a very large part of modern day workplaces not just zoos and that's 
the well-being, the mental health. It's very much something which is under the spotlight across the globe, but especially in the UK in the modern day, which rightfully so. You know, everyone does need that helping hand uh, occasionally. And I, I guess where this is going is we are told from day one within the zookeeping realm that we should create that nice balance between home and work life. There should be a balance between both. You need to go home to be able to shut off and get away from it because, it, you know, we love our jobs but we put our heart and soul into it so it can get overwhelming at times. Alongside this then, I guess the question I've got for you is how actually easy is this to do? Can you achieve this? And is it actually a thing? Can you separate work from your home life? I mean, personally, it's something I really struggle with, if I'm honest. Like you said, you know, it is our life. It's kind of a big part of our personality. I do struggle, especially, you know, people say, oh, you know, go and see your family, go and see your friends, go to that barbecue or that baby shower, whatever it is. But nine times out of 10, I might be the only zookeeper there. So it might be seeing my family. I'm the only one that works with animals. So I'll get questions about my animals. And even though I just want to go and, you know, get a burger and chill with my, my mates, actually, most of the time I end up talking about work. And if I'm sort of socialising with my friends from work, you know, it's going to turn, like, the conversation's going to turn to work eventually. And even when I go to conferences, you know, you go and have a drink with your, your mates afterwards and it's always going to be about work as well. So it is a really difficult thing. I think we're really empathetic people. So sort of mentally, you know, I go home, I've got lots of pets. I'm always sort of thinking about those as well. So it's hard to sort of make that barrier between work and sort of home life. And I literally do bring home some, you know, work sometimes. I do, you know, occasionally hand rear a bird or something like that. So it is really hard to sort of differentiate between work and home life. I would sort of say to people, try your best to switch off. And it's the hardest thing. My sort of general rule is um, we have like a cutoff point of when we can message people in the evening, anything work related. And I try my best when I get in my car after work, I respond to any sort of emails then and there. And as soon as I get out of my car, work days over, I can't you know, sort of discuss that anymore. As soon as I get in my house, I can chill with my pets. And luckily for me, I live by myself, so I don't have anyone to sort of like ask how the day's been. I've like I can just talk to my parrot, and that's about it, really. But just try and think of things that you can do to get your identity back, if that makes sense. So, you know, if you're really into reading, go and get a new book, or if you're really into sort of sports, go and join a team. Loads of my colleagues play like netball. They do aerial skills and all sorts of different things. So have that hobby that's nothing to do with zookeeping. And hopefully we'll get that little bit of your identity back and maybe reduce your stress in your life as well. Yeah, couldn't agree more. I had it myself. I went to a wedding the other day and I was getting, I think I got quizzed on how many zoos in the world have giant panda. And they literally had to try and name everyone. And they were so impressed that I could name a fair few. And that's just because we're zoo nerds. You know, half the time when we're not in zoos, we're going to other zoos and we're checking them out just because we love it. So, yeah, it is very hard, as you say. I'm the same as yourself. I'm a massive hypocrite. I will happily do this podcast and I'll put the questions out. But I'm as bad as as everyone else. It's very hard to leave your work at at work effectively. And it sounds like you you very much put the, the precursor down, which is great to be able to do those emails, put it aside and, and be able to step away when you can. Um, obviously as you say hand raising is a whole different realm and something that you definitely can't pass up so no some another great great answer and you battled your way through number two now number three it goes into i guess as us as a collective and i guess we're focused more on the uk's just because the world is so large but zoos as a whole we've got so many of them in this country alone but with regards to it we're all there for the same reasons conservation education and so on but 
when we're talking to our guests about all of this and, and educating them obviously each shoe has its own little quirks of doing it some places do keeper talks some places just have their keepers stationed at certain enclosures and some places do it through experiences do you feel as a collective though we are hitting the mark are we doing enough to truly get our messages across to our guests or do you feel there's still more to be done i think we are doing good as a whole i think there's always room for improvement though and i think the biggest sort of problem we have as an industry is we're not hitting all of our audiences in the right way so yes we can do these lovely talks we can do these experiences some of the experiences can be really hands-on and tactile but there's so many different audiences that come to zoos that we can have such a bigger impact on if we had the right tools so i'm a big believer in having sort of translators if possible or having information in different languages i mean culture to zoo we're very close to an airport so we have a lot of different guests come in that speak you know no english at all and none of our signs make sense to them so i'd love to be able to have some sort of information we can give them in different languages but also people with you know disabilities personally myself i have not got the best hearing so i much sympathize with people who have hearing loss and it would be amazing if more keepers were trained in you know british sign language is something that i i'm pushing for at the moment i know the basics but i would love to sort of expand on that because i've done the basics for people before and their face just lights up when we can sort of communicate in that way and just imagine being able to sort of put across that conservation message in a way they can understand it would just be amazing um, to sort of see that connection but also you know different ages different races all these different things that there's so many different ways that we can connect with people and I think we need to think of other ways you know outside of the box of ways that we can reach a bigger audience. Totally and, and that leads us I guess to the the last question you've nearly got through them all okay just one more to go and that is I guess looking less at our guests and looking more just simply at us as keepers, as a, as a collective, as a family, as, as a group of people aiming for the same things. Do you feel that we're collaborating enough at a keeping level or do you feel there's still room for more improvement? I think the industry in the sort of last, I would say about five years, has improved massively in our collaboration. I think previously we're seen as, you know, businesses, we're seen as competition because um, at the end of the day we are, you know, we have to make money in some way. But in the last sort of five years, I think we are collaborating a lot more. Um, you know, these amazing conferences, BRs is pushing a lot more for collaboration. But I, I would say there is always room for improvement with anything, really. I think it's great we're starting to do these sort of keeper exchange programs where keepers can go to a zoo for a few days and learn different skills. But I think we need to follow up on that a bit more, do more sort of collaborative research with each other a lot of zoos have the same animals why are we not doing more sort of research and um, to collaborate them why are we not sharing more information you know there's a lot of great sort of social media platforms where we can you know someone put up on facebook you know has anyone got a diet sheet for this animal but then that should be a great way to connect and be like oh i work with this animal and then you know keep the sort of ball rolling with that information i mean myself and you have actually done that before with you know talking about things like reindeer and stuff it's not just a quick little, oh, send me a diet um, sheet. It's having that conversation and it could actually lead to better sort of welfare for the animal. And down the line, it could, you know, lead to like breeding programs being set up, all these different things. So I think there's always, always room for improvement. And I think on a keeper level, that's something we should be pushing for. We should be trying to go to conferences, trying to go up and talk to people. I mean, you can attend a conference, like sit there and do nothing and just watch presentations and that's fine. But I think they're, 
such a good way to network with people and follow up on that networking opportunity send them an email send them a message i mean i was very cheeky at the last at black um i met some lovely people from jersey zoo i recently went to a trip to jersey because i messaged one of them being like uh i just quite like a holiday if that's possible and ended up going and staying with one of the guys and going behind the scenes and getting an amazing tour of jersey zoo and it was amazing and we got this amazing sort of friendship now and we're hopefully going to collaborate in the future and that's leading on from that so i think yes there's networking available in the sort of industry but sort of pushing for it as well is, is a great way to sort of improve that collaboration totally totally couldn't agree more it is a, an amazing industry working you've hit that on the head you've got biaza abwak keep uh and so on out there as the organizations pushing for this collaboration and i say at keeping level you've just said it yourself you can make it happen on your own you don't need necessarily these organizations to hold these amazing conferences that are there for that purpose you can just reach out okay and <laughs> we're not too scary as as people go we're all there for the same reason so no exactly that spot on spot on now you'd be happy to know you've conquered the big questions you're out you're through okay yeah you made it through to the other side we're on that final part of the podcast day and that leads us to the quick fire rounds okay now as listeners will be very much working out sometimes it can fly by and fly through the questions and sometimes they can erupt into conversation so we'll see how we get on as we go through and number one is a very easy one to start off with and that is what is your favorite animal you say that's an easy one it's not very easy for me <laughs> i would probably have to say of all the animals i've worked with it would be the spotted hyena just their personalities i love working with our spotted hyena outside of the zoo something that we don't have that i'm pushing to get because i love them it's tree kangaroos i just think they're so cool they're just such unusual animals and one i've met personally is ellie the wombat at Longleat. she was so cute so i'm definitely jealous you get to work with her <laughs> Very, very good choices. Very good choices. Very diverse as well, as, as animals go. So, no, very nice. Okay, so number two then is what is your top tip for mental health and well-being? So, personally, I'm very open about struggling with my mental health. In the past, I've really struggled with anxiety and depression. I think it's very common in our sort of industry because, you know, we are very caring people and sometimes it gets a bit too much. My biggest advice for anyone and one I would say to myself, you know, 10 years ago would be speak up just talk to people it'd be so surprising to you of how many other people around you go for the exact same thing well, i'm very open about my sort of journey i went onto medication when i was 19 and at the time i was absolutely terrified of it i spoke to my colleagues and half of them were on the same medication and we were so open about that and it became a bit of a joke but actually that's the best way to break down that sort of stigma around it is just to talk to people we have that resources in the industry i mean i'm very lucky at colchester i have an amazing support team our managers are great we have mental first aiders on site if anything sort of happens you can go talk to them and i think personally mental health is as important if not more important than physical health so please just speak up feel free to message me on instagram if you want to talk to anyone but um yeah please speak up about it yeah totally totally some really great words now the next one's a bit left field and that's your favorite film i'm not really a big film person everyone jokes because i've never seen harry potter i would probably say that movie big fish is a bit of a, a niche one but i grew up watching it with my stepdad and i have really fun memories watching it it's a very strange film someone turns into a very big fish it sounds very strange just watch it that's what i'm saying hopefully that didn't put you off working with the aquatic taxa 
That's all I'm about to say. <laughs> okay, well, the next one then is going back into the industry. And that's what's what, in your opinion, is the best side of the industry? I think how much of a family it is. It's a bit cringe saying it, but I generally see all of my colleagues and the people that I meet in the industry as my family. I mean, we see each other more than we do our own family most of the time. So I just love that sort of atmosphere of helping each other. And I love, you know, going to conferences and, and seeing everyone. It's like a big family reunion. So I just love that sort of side of the industry. Very much so. Couldn't agree more. Now, this one could take you anywhere in the world. And that is, what zoo globally would you like to visit and why? I mean, I'd love to travel to America. There's so many amazing zoos out in America. You know, San Diego Zoo, there's just so many. I would love to go on a whole tour of America. One that I've actually been to twice already, but I'm actually planning to go to again is actually Royal Burger Zoo in the Netherlands. It's incredible. I recommend it to anyone. Um, they've got amazing biomes of all different sort of natural habitats and some amazing species I've never seen before. I actually saw Roadrunner, which teenage me didn't actually realise it existed. I thought it was just from the cartoon, but highly recommend Burger Zoo. See, so yeah, I'm definitely going back there hopefully this year. Oh, great, great answer. I don't think we've had that one yet. So that's a new one for the list for sure. As you can imagine, San Diego definitely has been on this podcast before so uh, very very good answer now um the next one then is what one trait what one attribute one personality inside yourself has in your opinion got you to where you are i think my mum would agree on this one is i am a massive chatterbox i don't stop talking which sometimes can get me into trouble but like we said previously having that sort of initiative to go and talk to people and you know bug my manager and want that cover keeper role if I wasn't so chatty I would never have done that and I you know I would still probably be on farm still wanting to push to do more things so you know going up to chats to members of the public um, about conservation chatting to keepers at conferences chatting to people in the zoo I think yeah even though sometimes I chat a bit too much it's probably the thing that has led me um, on my career path great answer now the next one then is an answer i don't have and i say this on every every one of these i actually don't genuinely have an answer for this so good luck to yourself and that is if you weren't a zookeeper what would you be that's a really good question i was thinking about this earlier because it's always been zookeeper for me personally and i kind of like to throw around ideas because i'm like it's never going to happen I'm, i feel like i'm always going to be a zookeeper so i can say pretty much whatever i want to say but um i'd probably be a firefighter um, my dad was a firefighter for like 17 years, but I'd probably be a firefighter just, you know, helping people. But yeah, I, I just can't think of anything else really than being a zookeeper. It's, it's the dream job. Oh, very much so. Very much so. Very well put. Now, the next one then is reversing a previous question, and that is what do you feel the industry still needs to improve? I think massively in this industry, we have a lack of diversity within keeping roles. I think, unfortunately, a lot of keepers are, you know, white, British, I would love to see more sort of diversity with ethnicity, um, languages, disabilities, all sorts of different things, because it gives us a much more broader range of experiences. And I think it can help us connect more to public. If people see, you know, young kids see people that look like them in the role that they want, it will inspire them more into conservation and to animal care. So I think, yeah, I think one thing we need to do is sort of encourage more people with different backgrounds to get into the industry. Totally, totally. Some really, really great words. And I guess the next question I've got for you it's going to delve into your personal mind and life as much as anything and that is within the industry in your opinion who, who's your idol I wouldn't say I really have any like major idols I think it's people I look up to I mean obviously people like Darren Beasley um I grew up watching him on tv and I got to meet him at the latest um Abwak and he was the loveliest guy ever I think a bit cringy 
I really look up to my colleagues. Um, there's some people in the industry that are doing incredible things. I can see the passion in people. And that's the thing that I idolise most is passionate people. There's nothing worse than sort of people that are stagnant in the industry. I want people to be like pushing for better things. And I'm going to totally embarrass it and he's going to absolutely hate me. Um, but the lovely guy, um, Samuel Atherton, who works at uh, Jersey Zoo, the guy that I went and stayed with, um, got a lovely tour of Jersey Zoo. He is the biggest bird nerd you ever meet but he's so incredibly passionate about it and you can just tell everything about him sort of radiates about conservation and he's actually going to go to Sumatra this year to help Southeast Asian songbirds their conservation so things like that passionate people is what I idolize very much so some very 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 kind words there and I'm sure there I'm sure those people will listen and uh, appreciate those words um now the final question then this is the final coming towards the end of the podcast is how would you describe for everyone the whole industry in only three words oh it's the hardest question yet um I would say competitive 100% getting into the industry is like the hardest thing and it's you know it's hard to sort of move around but yeah definitely competitive adaptable I think the COVID pandemic showed us that we can adapt and we can sort of get through things and, and get better over time. And I would say majority of the industry is incredibly devoted. We give up so much of our time for our animals, so much of our life. One thing I want out of my life is people to look back and go, she was devoted to her animals. So yeah, that's, I think that's what I would say, the three words. Yeah, no, some really, really fitting and, and lovely words. And you say you're devoted. I'm going to I'm gonna chuck one last question at you, Jazz. And that is very simply, we've talked about taxonomic groups the whole way through. We've talked about you thinking the mammals are your current taxonomic group of choice. For anyone listening, why should they work with your taxa oh that's such a good question um one thing that fascinates me about mammals is how many like adaptations they have i think they're just fascinating and i think the thing with mammals is obviously there's the ones that are really cute and cuddly and everyone loves a meerkat and a lemur but if you can work with the weird and the wonderful the things like i've worked with you know coates i've worked with um sloths i think um like the hyena if you can then help to change people's perceptive of them, that's a massive thing for their conservation without even being conservation, if that makes sense. So I think mammals are so broad, but I think they're just so wonderful. And I think, yeah, if you work with mammals, you'll end up, I mean, I've got tattoos of them now, like I'm a bit obsessed with them. So <laughs> I think you'll end up really enjoying it. Some really, really great and, and loving words to, to conclude this episode. Um, I can say on behalf of myself, especially, and I can definitely say on behalf of the listeners, thank you so much, Jazz, for coming on, sharing your story, sharing your knowledge and your journey so far. It's been a real, real pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. No, and hopefully we'll get you on again very, very soon. Bye. Bye. And that concludes this week's episode. What an amazing guest and an amazing time we had. Now, if you have enjoyed it, please do subscribe on Instagram, Facebook or our podcast channels to Zookeeping 101. I can't express how thankful I am personally from a fellow zookeeper to have you along for this quite amazing journey, learning about everything zookeeper. Otherwise, please subscribe. Thank you for listening and see you very, very soon. Bye.